Let's go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 27. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning, so there'll be some summarizing taking place. The passage that we're going to be in today is probably, I think, one of the most difficult in 1 Samuel, and it's primarily because it's not exactly clear how we're supposed to interpret it. Chapters 27 and then chapter 29 tell the story of David actually fleeing to the land of the Philistines. He conducts a bunch of raids in the south and then seemingly offers to go on the attack with the Philistines against Israel. So it immediately almost kind of catches us off guard. Sandwiched in the middle of those two passages, chapters 27 and then 29, is the story of Saul going to the medium and seeking out Samuel, trying to conjure up Samuel. We're going to leave that for next week. So basically we have a set of bookends here. We have the story that we're going to talk about today sort of split by the story of Samuel or Saul trying to bring up uh, Samuel through the medium. So we'll take that out and we'll look at this story as a, as a whole today. Now, when you look at some of the... Um, the way that pastors and teachers and um, even commentaries handle this passage today, there's a lot of a lot of difference. There's primarily about I think it's three different approaches that we see with how they look at this text. One approach is that they view the passage as sin. They look at David and they think that he's on this murderous rampage that he's in some respect. Um, committed sin, much like he did with Bathsheba. If you remember the story with Bathsheba, it was a moral failing on David's part, something that sort of, again, catches us off guard. It's not something we expect of David. And so some scholars in, in that look at this passage today much in the same vein as that, that David had a moral failure here, that he basically goes to the Philistines, and then he goes out on these murderous rampages against Israel, uh, or not against Israel's enemies, to basically build his own kingdom of sorts. I reject that. And you'll see why in a little bit here. Others view the passage in a totally opposite direction, which is that David sort of escapes to the Philistines all of some big grand plan of deceiving the Philistines, and he basically picks up where Joshua's conquest of the land let off. In other words, if you remember when we went through this as we studied the books of Joshua and Judges, when uh, the Israelites came out of the wilderness and they went in and they conquered the land, God told them to wipe out all the Canaanites to take the land. And we learned that Israel failed to do that. Well, some scholars will say David is simply picking up the baton at this point. And so he righteously sort of picks up that baton, he goes back, and he's now finishing where Joshua and them left off, and they didn't finish the job, and so David's now going to go in and finish the job. I don't think that's really what we, what we see here either. I think it's somewhere in the middle of that. I, I view this passage a little more neutrally here. And there's a number of clues in the text, and I hope that as we go through it today, you'll, you'll see some of those clues. I'll try to point them out. But I believe that what we have today is David has been being pursued by Saul for a fairly significant amount of time here. He's been on the run. He's out in the wilderness. He's, he's begging for food. He's constantly in fear of his life. He's got all of these, what's probably amounting to about 1,000 to 2,000 people that are now with him. Because if you remember, all these dissidents came to David and asked him for his help and his support. And so now he's caring for not only his family, but he's caring for the men that are traveling with him and the women that are traveling and the children that are with him. And he keeps getting pursued by the king. And if you remember, there are at least 15 times where Saul attempts to kill David. 
And we find him today, finally, sort of at that point where I think you might call it a breaking point, where he's kind of at the end of his rope, he's weary, he's tired, he's exhausted. And so I think that the things that we're going to see today are all a result of that. That David does some things today that I think many of us oftentimes do when we get either weary, we get tired, or we kind of go on autopilot. And so I think we see a little bit of that today with David. Let's go ahead and and crack this open today. We're in chapter 27 of 1 Samuel. Let me read the first four verses. It says, Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me any more in the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. So David arose and crossed over, he and the 600 men who were with him. Now that's just the men. We've got women and children and others with them as well. So they escaped to Achish, the son of Mach, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish and Gath, or at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives. Verse 4, Now it was told Saul and or that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. It's pretty clear after David confronts Saul in chapter 26 that he's not going to fall to Saul's fake confession. If you remember, David confronts Saul. He had the opportunity to kill Saul. He doesn't. He lets Saul know about it, and Saul goes into this, what looks like confession, but we know that it wasn't genuine because... A little bit later here, Saul's back on the attack with another 3,000 men trying to attack David. And David isn't going to fall for it this time. Last time when David had the opportunity to kill Saul and let him go, Saul feigned a confession and repentance and brought David back in, and it was a mistake. And so this time David's not going to let that happen. And you see when he says in verse 27, or verse 1, I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me then now to escape to my enemies. So Saul is definitely going to continue to pursue him. The text bears that out. So David gets to this point where he thinks his only option is to go to the one place that he probably shouldn't go, which is to the Philistines, his enemies. Now, he had done that once before, if you remember, and he had to pretend he was crazy. He let his beard grow and the saliva would go down his beard and he would act like a madman, you know, because when uh, when, um, the inhabitants of Gath had discovered that David was there, he knew his life was in danger. So he had done that once before. Well, he went back. How pathetic do you think David must have felt at this point to think, my only option to get out from the threat of having Saul kill me is to go to another place where they might kill me, to his enemies. So David and his men and all their families set out for Gath. They go away to their enemies. They think it's their only option that they really have. I think some of the clues to understanding what's going to take place here are this. The first one is that in almost every case in this book and in 2 Samuel, in almost every single instance before David has to make a decision He consults the Lord. There are seven or, depending on how you count them, maybe as many as nine instances where David, it says, inquires of the Lord. Literally, asks the Lord, what should I do? What's interesting 
is that this is a critical time in David's life. But he makes no inquiry of the Lord. Doesn't seek him out. So it stands out in stark contrast to David's normal behavior. If there was ever a time for David to consult the Lord, you would think, this would be it. There were other times where you might say, well, he really didn't need to ask God for that, because he went off and attacked some small little group of Philistines over here, and he could have just handled it. He was a great military man. But he asked. You would think David would do it here. But he doesn't. I think that's our first clue as to what might be going on here. As you sort of look at this, we have to keep in mind that it's not sin for David to not ask the Lord here. The author doesn't seem to indicate that it is. It might not be real wise, but we can't accuse David of sin here. What's interesting about this text, and I think this is kind of our second clue here, is that God is mentioned in every single chapter of 1 Samuel except for one. There's another chapter where he's mentioned one time, and it's mentioned by a Philistine king. So really we would say that there's probably two chapters where God is absent. What do you suppose those two chapters are? It's the ones we're working on today. That's our second clue. The authors of the Old Testament, much like the New Testament, how do I say this? When they wrote, they wrote deliberately. Which means when they included things, it was for a specific reason. But just in the same way, when they left things out, they did it for a specific reason. I believe that the reason the author left God out of these two chapters is he's trying to communicate something to us at this point. Not so much that God was absent, but that something is going on with David where David didn't consult the Lord and there's no mention of the Lord through this entire section here. That tells us a little bit about maybe what was going on with David. I suspect, again, that based on the text, we start it with David being sort of at wit's end. What's my only hope here? My only hope is to flee to my enemies. He's weary. He's tired. Can you blame him? I've never had my life threatened. I can't imagine having my life threatened 15 times by the king who I'm supposed to serve and help And no matter what I do, he just won't give up. So I suspect that partly what's happening here is David is just to the point where he's weary, and he didn't pray. He just didn't ask the Lord for his help. He just did what he thought was right. He kind of, in some respects, goes on autopilot mode. Have you ever been there? Have you ever kind of done that, where you just... Sort of rely on your 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 normal behavior. You know, I, years ago, I used to wonder. Um, in fact, I asked my my mentor, my pastor, about this one time. When do you get to that point where you just stop sinning? You know, in other words, when does it almost become automatic? And you remember the story. He basically kind of laughed and said, y- "You don't," which shattered my impression of this godly man. Right. Um, instead, he explained, "Well, you grow and you mature, but we kind of go on autopilot oftentimes." You know, and I find that even with myself. Um, I do that fairly frequently. I don't always ask the Lord for his direction or for his help when I should. You know, it's um, it's interesting. I've been struggling with... Um, I don't know if you guys have even seen it. I walk a little funny sometimes. And uh, my hips have been bothering me for just 
must be now, I think, about three or four months. And we went to Wisconsin. Getting out of the van to even walk, I was just, it was just killing me. And so it's funny because I think it took me two months before I, it just kind of clicked in my head. I'm like, you know, what's, what's interesting is I've been frustrated with, with my hip doing this. And I just, the, the pain, the discomfort. And I hadn't even really prayed about it. Period. And I kind of had to laugh to myself because I thought, you know, that, that it kind of happens where I just sort of take life sometimes. And um, that seems like a small thing. But the reality of it is we kind of go on autopilot. And I think sometimes we go on autopilot when, when we get weary and get tired as well. And I think that's where David might have found himself. And so he simply relied upon what he, what he thought. You know what? I'm just going to have to bail. I'm just going to have to get out of here. I'm going to have to get out of Saul's reach. And so if I go to the Philistines, I know that Saul will not pursue me if I go up there. And you know what? He's right because verse 4 says that as soon as Saul found out that David went to the Philistines, he stopped pursuing him, it says. So David was right. But I think he just kind of went on autopilot. Just kind of relied on his own thinking. His own military prowess. What he thought was best. Let's move on. Chapter 27, starting in verse 5. I'll read verses 5 through 7. It says, Then David said to Achish, If now I have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag um, that day. Therefore, Ziklag was or has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. The number of days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. So basically what happens here is David goes to the king and he says, look, it's not right for me and my men and my wives and children and all that to live with you in the capital city, so give me another city somewhere. And so he sends him to a place called Ziklag, and that became David's home. So David moves down there. Now, when David gets down there, he does something rather interesting. He uses it as a base of operations to go and attack that whole entire region. He's basically now in the southern part of Israel. And so, it appears that David actually has a plan in mind here. He could have stayed in the capital city. In fact, to be real frank, the Philistines might have been wiser to keep him in Ziklag because you, gotta, you have to imagine, if David walks into Ziklag with a thousand men or people, those Philistines got to think. They knew who David was. We learned that when David went there the first time. They knew who David was. So it would immediately send off alarm bells. You would think that they would want to keep their eyes on David. But for some reason, David's able to convince them to send them away down to a place called Ziklag. Well, in David doing that, that's about 25 miles south of where the king is. So David is no longer monitored by them. And what he does is he sets up a base of operations there, and he goes out and starts attacking the enemies of Israel in southern, in the area of uh, Judea. So David begins to attack the Philistine armies right or I mean the, um, the enemies of Israel's right under the noses of the Philistines without them knowing. But he does something else that's rather interesting. Look at verse 8. He says, Now David and his men went up and raided the Gersherites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times, as you come from Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. David attacked the land and did not leave a man or a woman alive, and he took away their sheep and their cattle and their donkeys and their camels and their clothing. Then he returned and came to Achish. Now Achish said, Where have you made a raid today? And David said, Against the Negev, that's the southern part of Judah, and against the Negev and the Geharmites and the Negev and the Kenites, 
David did not leave a man or woman alive to bring to Gath, saying, Otherwise they will tell us or tell about us, saying, So has David done, and so has David been his prayer, so has his practice been all the time he has lived in the country of the Philistines. So Achish believed David, saying, He has surely made himself odious among his people, Israel, therefore he will become my servant forever. So basically what you have is David setting up shop. Now, he may, this may have been a premeditated plan by David. He may have been honestly thinking, look, if I can get down to the southern part of Israel, away from the king, I can start to conduct raids against Israel's enemies. And I can do it in a way that makes the king of the Philistines here really think I'm serving him. And so what David would do is he would go out and conduct these raids against Israel's enemies. And these individuals here, the Amalekites and others, were a threat to Israel. They were supposed to be wiped out during the conquest, and because Israel did not do it, they continued to attack Israel. In fact, we'll see this a couple of weeks from now. The Amalekites, who are mentioned here, actually go to Ziklag when David is outside. They ransack the city. They just completely destroy the city and take all the inhabitants, David's wives and the children, the wives of all of the men. So the Amalekites are a huge threat to Israel. And so what David is actually doing here is he's going out and he's protecting southern Israel. That's what David did. So he sets up this base of operations, goes out and he starts attacking these. But he takes all the stuff that he, and this is another reason why I don't believe David was doing this to build his own kingdom. He took the stuff that he, um, the the spoils, and he took them back to the king of Gath, Gath, and he gave them to the king of Gath. David didn't keep them for himself. So he's conducting these raids, he's actually protecting Israel... So again, I think that what we find here is not sin on David's behalf. He's not um, on a murderous rampage. He's actually doing what God had called him to do, which is to protect Israel. And so he's out attacking Israel's enemies. But he's doing it protected from Saul. And he's also doing it under the nose of the Philistines, gaining their trust, which is going to come in handy later on. So what do we actually make of that? Well, again, God's not mentioned anywhere in this passage at all. Um, makes us wonder why. Maybe the author's trying to tell us something about this, and I think the key to part of this is that we find, and you'll see this in a, in a, in a moment, you'll find that David, by doing this, and working to gain the favor of the Philistine king, it almost goes a bit too far because... David's going to find himself in a very precarious position. And that's that the Philistine king expects David now to join him in going against Israel. So David is is basically, he comes up with this scheme on his own. He doesn't consult the Lord on it. It's not necessarily a bad scheme because he's doing what he's supposed to be doing, which is raiding the, the enemies of the Israelites. But he didn't consult the Lord on it, and all of a sudden now he's going to find himself in a position where, oops, now now i got a problem. Because this king is expecting me now to go and attack Israel, because this whole time David's been telling him, I'm going out and I'm attacking all of your, your enemies down there, which means Israel. So he's trying to convince the Philistine king that he's been attacking Israel all this time. He hasn't been, but because he's been doing that, The king now expects him to do that, and so the king is going to ask him to come out on a major offensive, a major raid. In fact, it's probably one of the largest raids that the Philistine armies have put together. And part of it is, they've been bolstered with all this confidence. They now have David, Saul's right-hand man, so they become emboldened and put together this massive attack against Israel. 
And David's expected to go along on it. So I think maybe what we're looking at here is that we have a situation where David, maybe because he was weary, maybe because he went on autopilot, he sort of makes this decision, he doesn't consult the Lord on it. It's not necessarily sin, but it leads to some rather interesting, difficult circumstances that David now has to deal with. And you're going to see some consequences for that in a moment. Look at um, chapter 28. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know that your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, and I will make you my bodyguard for life. So David, because of the decisions he's made, finds himself in a very precarious situation now having to go out against Israel. Now, the problem here is that if David had revealed, well, well, wait a minute here. <laughs> I've been, you know, pulling this scheme here. I've been actually out raiding Israel's enemies. Um, I haven't really been going out against Israel. David probably at that point immediately would have been put to death. So now he's got to think about his own life, his own protection, which is probably why he responds the way he does. He basically says, okay, I'll go out with you. And we see actually in chapter 29... David actually makes plans to do that. Look at chapter 29. Chapter 29, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, while the Israelites were camping by the spring, which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines, the lords, the Philistines had five major cities. And those were their, their fortified cities, the base of their, their armies and their operations. And so the lords were the kings of each one of those. So basically, again, as I said, this was probably the largest attack of the Philistines on Israel in their history. Because all the lords come together and decide to attack Israel. David and his men were proceeding on the rear with Achish. And so what happens is, David and all of his men joined this group, these lords, as they all came together and prepared to attack. And they're all in a column heading down now to attack Israel. And David and his men are all in the rear, going along with it. Then the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, who has been with me these days, or rather these years? And I have found no fault in him for the day he deserted me, or the day he deserted to me to this day. So basically what happened is the, the commanders are going, Whoa, wait a minute now. <laughs> this was Saul's right. How do we know this isn't a trick by David? Especially, you know what, if we go attack Israel, they're in front of us, David and his men are behind us, now we got a problem. So the commanders are rightfully concerned, and the king says, no, wait, no, David's been my dude. He's been my right-hand guy for the last 14, 16 months here. No, this is a good thing. I want him to go along with us, but the lords are not going to have any of it. Verse 4, it says, But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him, meaning the king, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Make the men go, or man go back, that he may return to his place where you have assigned him, and do not let him go down to battle with us, or in the battle he may become an adversary to us. For with what could this man make himself acceptable to his lord? To his lord? Would it not be the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom they sing in the dance, or sing in the dances, saying Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands? So basically, you can see why these guys are concerned. They're like, he could really get back in Saul's good graces if he wipes us out. 
How do we know this isn't a trick? And basically they say here, there's nothing he could do to convince us otherwise. So they convince the king to send him back. Verse 6, Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out and you're coming in with me, and the army are pleasing in my sight, for I have not found evil in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, you are not pleasing in the sight of the Lord's. Now therefore return and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. David said to Achish, But what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day when I came before you to this day that I may go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? He's basically calling Israel his enemies there, right? But Achish replied to David, I know that you are pleasing in my sight like an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said he must not go up with us to battle. That's the only time God is mentioned, by the way, in this section. Remember I mentioned this one chapter where God is mentioned by the other king? Well, that's it here. Now, then arise early in the morning with the servants of the Lord who have come with you. And as soon as you have risen early in the morning and have light, depart. So David rose early, he and his men, to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So basically, he sends them back to Ziklag. Now, we don't really know what to make of David's comment there. It almost appears as if David's bothered and upset. What, you're kicking me out? Hey, I was looking forward to going up against Israel. Knowing what we know of David, probably again a ruse. David's probably covering himself. In other words, can't quite give up the fact now that, well, yeah, I've been conducting all these raids against Israel's enemies, which is really strengthening Israel. You can't let that slip quite yet because it puts him and his family in danger because if the king of Gath knew what he was doing... David would likely lose his life. So this is probably, again, another ruse by David. David probably didn't really intend to go with them to attack Israel. So again, it's probably a ruse on David's part. But, he has the opportunity now to go home. When I mentioned this precarious position that David was put in, this is it. What does he do? I don't think David expected that the king would ask him now to go and fight against Israel. He probably thought, he'll just leave me alone in Ziklag. As long as I keep providing tribute to this guy, you know, sending money up to him, he's probably going to leave me alone and I get to attack all of Israel's enemies down here. Probably caught himself a little bit off guard. How's he going to handle this? Well, the Lord here provided an out for him. The Lord took care of this for David. Provided him an out, so he was able to get out of it. So what happens? Well, the Philistines now go on the attack. David gets to go home. What's kind of interesting about this is we now actually see a consequence for all of this. We'll get into this at a, a different date here as we, a couple of weeks from now. Think about this for a moment. Because David agreed to go along with the army of the Philistines, he left Ziklag undefended. And because of that, when the Amalekites learn that David and his men are no longer in Ziklag, they attack the city, completely destroy Ziklag, and take away all of the wives and the children. David's decision wasn't all that wise. David was responsible for Ziklag and for the families. In fact, remember when the men had come to David, the dissidents, and said, take care of us, David agreed. You're under my protection. I'll care for you. But he left the city undefended. So David found himself in this difficult spot. Doesn't know how to handle it, apparently. Goes ahead and agrees with the king of Gath to go ahead and go with this this column of, of soldiers down to attack Israel and leave Ziklag undefended. 
I think that's a consequence of David um, not consulting the Lord. So I think as we look at this, there's a number of things for us to actually consider. Again, the Lord is mentioned in, in every chapter except for the two, and I think what we find here is not so much that God is absent, but what happens when we sort of leave God out of the formula? What happens when we go on autopilot? What happens when we just sort of rely on our own thinking and our own abilities? I've been saved for some 30 years now. Um, there's just times where I just do things without even considering or consulting or asking the Lord for His help. Now, is that sin? Not necessarily. Is it wise? I'm not saying we have to pray about every little tiny decision we make. You know, I get up in the morning and I have the same thing every morning for breakfast. Doesn't mean I have to get up and pray about it, right? But, it's not a good thing when we just sort of go on autopilot and we stop consulting the Lord. And we see that in David because, again, every other major decision in First and Second Samuel, David is on his knees consulting the Lord. Should I go up? Should I do this? And in some instances, when God says yes, David says, well, let me double check. And he asks the Lord a second time just to make absolutely sure. And what we find in this passage today is David doesn't do that. Maybe it's because he's weary. Maybe it's because he's just tired. Any of you ever get that way? You know, where you just get so tired, so weary, and you find yourself a few days in or a week or two in, and then you're like, oh, you know, I haven't been prayed. I haven't even consulted the Lord. And another, uh, I'll call it, no, I don't know how to say it, I find myself doing that sometimes with the way that I study. You know, last night I was, in fact, I texted Dustin and I said, I've been studying 2 Corinthians, my head hurts. Because there's some stuff in the very beginning of 2 Corinthians that's just, it's hard to even figure out what Paul is saying sometimes. And um, it's a very difficult section, it's a difficult letter. And um, so I've been, I've been working through it for about two days, and my head, literally my head was hurting, I had eye strain from looking at my computer, you know. But I just remember kind of stopping, and I closed my Bible, and I said, you know, it's funny, Lord, um, I haven't even prayed. I haven't even prayed about this. So I'm going to need some help digesting this. I'm going to need some help studying through this. I'm going to need some help just really figuring, figuring out exactly what Paul is saying here, you know. Um, and I had to laugh to myself, because I literally, for the last two days that I had been studying it, was getting frustrated because I just I wasn't quite grasping what it was Paul was trying to say, um, and it took me a couple of days to, before I went. You know, maybe my first reply ought to be consult the Lord, pray about this. You know, um, but I hadn't done that. And again, that's a small issue compared to sometimes what we face. And there are sometimes consequences for that. And that's the other side of this. When we kind of go on autopilot, when we just sort of get into our Christian behavior and we just make decisions based on our experience and what we think and we don't stop to say, you know, Lord, I I think I know the right thing to do here. I I I think I know how to handle this. But let me talk to you first. Let's just pray about this first. When we don't do that, sometimes there's consequences. And this is a good example with David because when he goes back to the city, they're crushed because everybody's missing. Now again, it doesn't mean that the Lord is absent in that because I believe that when we look at this, what we find is that the Lord provided an out for David's precarious position when David had put himself in that spot. Because what would David have done had they gotten right up to the battle? And then the king learns because David and his men aren't drawing their weapons. In all likelihood, David's army would have been slaughtered, because aside from God's help, 
but from his own perspective, you know, David's 600 fighting men against thousands and thousands of Philistines might not have ended well. And so the Lord steps in and intervenes and provides an out for David by working up the Philistine lords against him to say, send him home. And so David, I'm sure as he sort of left that column and they started heading home, he's probably talking to the men going, wow, we kind of dodged a bullet there, didn't we, guys? You know? So sometimes there are consequences when we just sort of go on autopilot. So I think as we look at this text today, maybe we look at it from that perspective, that we understand that sometimes we get a little tired or just kind of get in this mode or sometimes you just go on autopilot and we stop sort of consulting the Lord. Stop just asking Him what He would have us do or how He'd like us to behave. I was visiting uh, what I call my, the guy I call my mentor, Pastor Krenz, um, when I was up home in Wisconsin. And I, I'm still, I, I still find myself learning from him. And one of the neat things was he's 87 years old now and he just stopped regular preaching. And I remember he had, when he had retired at 60, he went up and started a church up in the sticks of Wisconsin, a church of about 150 people or so. And up until about two years ago, he was still preaching every Sunday. And, and um, the individual that took over for him was an individual that Pastor Krenz had led to the Lord. And then he mentored him and trained him, and now he's the pastor of the church. And so just about six or eight months ago, he finally said, okay, it's time for me to sort of sunset that ministry and allow this other gentlemen to now um, become the primary pastor. So what Pastor Krenz does now is he simply leads communion on Sunday evenings once a month, and then he leads a home Bible study on Thursday nights for the church. But he told me, I said, so what do you do with all your spare time now, teasing him, because I knew what the answer was going to be, and he kind of laughed. And he said, you know, I still get up every single morning, and I'm in the Word, and I'm studying. He still studies as if he's teaching. He hasn't gone on autopilot. The guy's 87. He's starting to walk a little slow now. Um, but he refuses to sort of step back and, and just go on autopilot. So, challenge to us this morning is, is just that. I think we have to be cautious that we don't sort of get stuck in those ruts or those times where we're just sort of tired now and we don't feel like we want to just pray one more time. Or like David, maybe he just didn't want to consult the Lord one more time. Or maybe he just didn't think about it and thought, I got this. Whatever it is, he just kind of went on autopilot. And again, there were some consequences for doing that. What's interesting is after this, we find David consulting the Lord again. Finally starting to, to, to fall back into that, I'll call it a healthy habit of consulting the Lord and asking for his help and his direction.